You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Saints, another loss. Back-to-back defeats now going down to uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. 31-24, Thursday night football. And... uh, there was hope in this one after a really dismal start. Finally, the engine, I guess, got revved up at the end, and then things literally just fall through your hands. Yeah, I don't even know if you said the name of the podcast is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Uh, we're all we're all out of sorts. It's Friday. This is a post game pod. Uh, I hope I get, said it. We're gonna get into it, but yeah, I mean, remember two and zero? Remember how long ago? Like two and zero was like a month ago. <laughs> it feels like 10 years at this point. Um, yeah, two and those like last season. But yeah, so th- that is the weird thing about this game. In another, in another universe, you'd be like, man, what a comeback, right? You know, 15 points in the fourth quarter. They they executed and executed until they didn't. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think we're gonna change this up a little bit from our normal, our normal, you know, three up, three down kind of thing. I think the first segment, I th- I think the best way to go about this is say segment one. What didn't work? We're going to go through everything that failed, everything that did not go well. We're going to hear from Dennis Allen talk today on a conference call. He talked about Chris Olave, talked about a lot of that. So we'll get into it. Uh, the second segment, 
we're going to talk about what did work because there were some things that went well, but even those were tinged with bad stuff, right? So when I say what did work, it's like only in the sense of, okay, what actually, you know, spurred that comeback and how can you replace all the bad stuff with that? So we're going to talk about that and then we're going to get into a mailbag in the final segment. So if you're watching and you want to complain, please do it. I'm sure there'll be a lot of comments and we're going to get through as many as possible. I'm not going to try to try to spin this in any positive way. There's not a lot of positives that you can pull out of it, but I do think that there are some suggestions. There are some changes that have become pretty apparent uh, that we can kind of get into. And that's kind of when I say what did work, that's kind of, I think you can identify some things that you can make adjustments to that hopefully can get some of this just terribleness out of the way. But first things first, you know, one thing that didn't work were Foster Morrow's hands at the end of the game. And, you know, and I say that in partially in jest, but, you know, it's rough. There are certain guys, you know, if if it was Chris Olave who, who had that chance to make the catch and, and it bounced off his hands and there's a lot of, a lot of criticism being levied at Chris Olave anyway. And he's not a guy that you would say, okay, he's definitely doing everything the right way. And so, you know, you, there would be, there'd be anger pointed at him, right? With, with Foster, it's like, you, you just feel bad for him. You wanted that moment for him so badly. He does everything right. He gets none of the praise and you can see, you could hear it on the, from his teammates. You know, I talked to Eric McCoy after the game, we can listen to that audio. It's like, he was getting emotional for his teammate because you know yeah you could see on his face foster you know i'm gonna play the his his post-game interview here was only about 90 seconds long but i don't know if i've ever want to give just give someone a hug more than than foster um and you know he screwed up he knows he screwed up but gosh it's just it should have never come to that i think that's kind of where i'm at with it it's like he's gonna he's gonna beat himself up relentlessly over that play and you know this is a game the Saints should have won by double digits I think you know when you see the way it started in terms of those two turnovers there the Jaguars were begging begging the Saints to take control of that game and they just they definitely were right please take it they refused to do it and you know like I think there's going to be you know, what I hope is that the Saints don't fool themselves into thinking, oh, we figured something out in the second half so that so nothing has to change. No, 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 no. We're going to get into it. I actually think how things got going is more of an indictment on the the current state of the offense than anything else. Uh, and like you can pull stuff out of it. You can say like we're going to do some stuff differently. But, you know, one of the reasons it worked was because you eliminated Pete Carmichael from the equation uh, to to a strong extent, and that's ouch, right? But yeah, here let's let's listen to Foster, and you can. I mean, if you are on the fence about whether whether you know this is something that you should be like, oh yeah, let's trash Foster, let's get Foster out of the building. Let, he, let, listen uh, to him. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, to have, have your teammates have your your back like that after after that moment. Yeah, you know it's tough. It's, um, you know, in front of every man, woman, and child I've ever, I've ever known, you know, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a dark place to be. It's the National Football League. Um, it doesn't come down to one play, but it comes down to one play. Um, the team fought, the team fought as hard as, as we did, and um, it's just unacceptable. 
don't know. I mean, pathetic. this communication seems like how difficult would it possibly because they didn't look like necessarily a routine play, but no, it's they passed to do a job. It's like it's it's routine. It was it was the right throw. It was the right read. I I ran a little short on the route. I kind of I. I thought it, I, I thought something different, and I, that's a short week. That's a um, lack of focus, lack of concentration. Um, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. How close do you feel that you guys are to the breakthrough? Because you're, you're, you've been pretty close the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll keep it short. I don't, I don't know if anyone within 200 miles of this place wants to hear my voice right now. But um, these guys are fighters, man. They're resilient. This is, a, this is, a, this is the right team. And um, we need to take our opportunities. It's, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the way I kind of react to that, and it's like, if you don't get, I mean, if you don't register the, the level of, emotion there and how much how much that hurt him to have that moment and and have that chance and not be able to do it for for his hometown for his fans for for everyone watching who's such a big foster moral fan uh i don't know what to tell you but all i can say you know and i was on with dave cohen this morning and we kind of talked about this it's like yeah he screwed up he knows he screwed up He's got to make that catch. That's, you know, Alvin basically said that Alvin is always going to be blunt. It's like, yeah, he knows he should have made that. He's professional. To me, it's like if everyone on this team cared as much as Foster Morrow cares about this team being successful and this team being successful for its fans, this would be a more successful team. Because I don't think you get that level of, of ownership for the result from everybody on this team. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that that that's that that kind of like emotion is something they can rally around. This team can rally around and be like, you know what, we have to be better because we, we should care that much. And it's just, I, you know, I just feel bad for the guy and it sucks. You know, should it have even been him in that situation? You would have loved for that to be Joan Johnson or you would have loved for that. I don't know. Where the hell is Jimmy Graham? Is it, why is he even on this team? He's got two targets this season. You you finished the last two games with eight unsuccessful heaves to the end zone. When you're throwing these, you're throwing these low percentage fades to the end zone and you have a six, seven guy who's literally here for that purpose. And he's not even on the field. Makes no sense. None of this offense makes sense. Uh, the way, the way it's been attacked, the way it's been, the way it's been run, at least, you know, I actually think early in the season, you, you, you were able to get some things done offensively. And it seems like, it's gone backwards. It's actually gotten worse week to week to week. And the first half of this game was one of the worst offensive showings I've seen from this team. And it's like, you know, it's not baby steps. It's not, it's not growing pains. It's a problem. And, you know, I, I think this is a 10 day stretch where uh, you better, you better look yourself in the mirror and be honest about where this team is, or is this not going to get better if you don't, if you don't make serious changes to, to how you're approaching this offense. I thought it was kind of funny that Derek Carr was apologizing for showing his emotion too much. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's a problem at all. I disagree with that. It's, it's not about showing your emotion. It's about throwing a temper tantrum because that is what he has done the last two weeks. 
It's well, not. I mean, his wide receiver, I guess, is driving him up the wall. <laughs> oh, I understand that. I understand that. And I think there's a serious rift forming between Chris Olave and Derek Carr that is becoming problematic. If you cannot wrangle that situation and and find a way to, to have an accord between quarterback and receiver, uh, it's going to be a problem. It's already a problem. Um, but I disagree with the idea that there's nothing wrong with how Carr, how Derek Carr is a is is throwing temper tantrums on the sideline of these games because that's what they are. It is not healthy criticism. It is not you know standing in a room and and demanding accountability. It's a temper tantrum because something didn't go right. And and Chris Olave is at fault there. Da even said that on the conference call today. You know that route is supposed to be kind of a. You know, you, you're getting one-on-one. You're going to go. It's a go. And Derek Carr wanted to take a shot to him, but he stopped running. And so what, the reason it went out of bounds is he threw it away. He threw the ball away. It wasn't like he threw the ball to where Chris was supposed to be and he just didn't go get it. It was an uncatchable ball because he threw it out of bounds because Chris didn't run the route. And so, you know, I disagree with the idea that that's okay, that, that the quarterback coming off the field. Because it wasn't like he came off and he took Chris aside and he said, hey, like, this can't fly. This this cannot happen. And, you know, probably, sure, he is fed up, I bet. But, you know, you got to be more mature than that because, I mean, that's just going to be another thing that people look at and be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Uh, like last I, week, I, just, was, I guess I understood it too much of it bubbling over because I was, I think a lot of people are at that point. You know, you look at, I'm sure fans feel that way. I mean, I understand the frustration bubbling over too, but right. at I, I that guess, point. I, right, as the quarterback, you, you don't want him to be, I don't want to say out of control with his emotions. Have you, did you, look this way. Did you ever see Drew Brees do that to his receiver? Have you, do you remember seeing that? No, I've never, no, definitely not. Right. Like Peyton Manning used to, used to get, used to remount his receivers, but like he would do it. Like he wasn't screaming at them coming off the field. He would do it on the sideline. He would say, you effed up and you need to do this better. It's like, I don't know. It's just not a good look. And this offense just has so many negative vibes about it right now that, you know, you look at it and you say, how can this get better? And uh, does, does Chris Olave seem like a guy that uh, believes in his quarterback right now? No, but uh, the quarterback's still targeting him and trying to get him involved. I think, I mean, it's not like right. he's, and still there, there just can't be that, I don't know. I don't know what the, the discord is between them, honestly. Is well, he, if this was a one-time thing. more? Yeah. <laughs> is that, I, mean, I mean, I don't know. You got 15 targets in that game. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and they weren't all good. You know, there was a couple that Derek left behind him. Like, Derek, had to, Derek didn't have a good game. I don't care what the what the yardage says. Um, at least, especially not in the first half. I think he found a rhythm in the second half, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, you talk about benching Trevor Penning. Talk about accountability. And it, I think that the only reason Chris Olave is on the field right now is because he is this mega ultra talented player that you spent so many assets to go get. Otherwise, he would be sitting right next to Trevor. Because I think for the same reasons you're you're sitting Trevor down. <laughs> I mean he he was he was the golden goose or whatever you want to call it in training camp. You know, we saw the light shining down and we were all in awe of what could could be Chris Olave. And, you know, it was like that was another guy buying in for for fantasy that I mean, he's been productive, obviously, still getting 
uh, decent numbers. But, I mean, I just don't understand with even the cast around him and guys like, you know, an Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, how how he could be so immature about is it is it really the lack of targets and his lack of involvement because i can't believe that like you're saying with all the targets he just had this past game no and it's uh, you know da will say consistency and we have we have da talking about a lava here so let's listen so, to that. so is it just a thing with a rift between him and Carr? i don't know but it's <laughs> it's very clear that the things aren't things aren't going well and and part of that's on car obviously but yeah, like and, and like you said, you can understand the frustration because, you know, if if this stuff kind of happened and then you corrected it and it stopped happening, it seems like it's just week after week after week. But this is what Dennis Allen had to say uh, about Chris Olave uh, when he was asked today, not not after the game, today on the conference call. Dennis, what is your impression of where Chris Olave is at in his development? And that 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 one play was obviously heavily scrutinized, but a few things have been scrutinized with him uh, from the outside looking in. I guess. Yeah. Look, I I think. I think there's a lot of good things that I see him doing. And 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 I would say, uh, I keep coming back to this, I just think it's the inconsistency with which we are operating. Um, you know, there's obvious, um, you know, shots of guys that are doing it right. And when they do, it looks really good. It's efficient. It's effective. Um, and then there's plays where, you know, it's not efficient and effective, and it's not being done exactly the way that we need it to be done. And and um, and so that's that's what has to that's what has to be cleaned up. Is it unusual to see this happening in a player's second year, or were there elements of this that had to be managed during the? Yeah, I think when you're dealing with with uh, you know, young players. I mean, I, I think you do see inconsistency, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that's something that we have to continue to work to work on. I think that's something that that he has to continue to work on, and a lot of our guys have to continue to work on. Um, you know, and it's hard to be the same guy every single day in a seventeen game season. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to bring your A game every day, but. That's the expectation, and that's the standard that we have to have. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, sorry to harp on this, but when you mentioned inconsistency from Olave, do you specifically mean not finishing out his routes? Like, is that the recurring problem? I, I, I mean, there's, there's inconsistencies in, um, you know, what we're doing as a team. And it's where does where where do you guys identify that coaching fits into that? Uh, obviously, I mean, you try to toe the line between – well, Look, I, and I'm sure, I, being hard on them. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think both aspects have to be there. Um, you know, I think there's there's some points in time where, you know, you have to be willing to, you know, encourage and and pat them on the back, and 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 there's sometimes where you have to stick them somewhere else, um, and and that that's part of what coaching is. And so if we're not getting the consistency that we need, you know, there's a, there's a coaching aspect to that. And, um, and it starts with me. So I've got to do a better job with our football team of um, making sure that they understand, you know, how we have to play 
if we're going to have success. Dennis, what? Yeah, and so I think that that final point there is important. Is coaching does play a role in this, and you know whether it's about Derek Carr being better because he's got to be better. Um, whether it's about Chris finishing his routes, you know, like he, it's it's uh, something's not clicking here. Uh, and you know, one thing that that I thought was interesting, and I didn't even find out about this until today because I didn't watch the game on the broadcast. Obviously, is uh, Dennis Allen came out after halftime. He said Ronald Curry stood up in the locker room at halftime and made a halftime speech to the team. And uh, this is this is what he had to say about that. Watching the spam, um, what did you thought of? Um... That's the wrong file. Anyway, he said basically that I don't have the clip, so I'm just going to talk about it. He said basically that like Ronald Curry just stood up and said, hey, we, got all, we all got to do our jobs, you know, and <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people over the next 10 days saying, make Ronald Curry the play caller. And I'm one of them, you know, and, and like I've been pretty – I don't want to say lenient, but I've been pretty vocal that like P. Carmichael isn't the biggest issue with this offense. There's a lot of issues with this offense. At a certain point, changes have to be made because it's just not working and you have to find a new combination. Now, a lot of people are going to say fire Pete Carmichael. I don't think that you do have to fire Pete Carmichael. I think you just have to switch roles. I think what Pete Carmichael does well is game plan and work in the background. You know, we talk about the tempo offense. You know, DA was like, yeah, a lot of the calls are happening at the line, but there's constant communication between Pete and and Derek. He can still do that whether he's calling the plays or not. Um, And, you know, I just think it's not not working. It's not working. And this, the, (laughs) you'd be crazy. You'd be crazy to let this season just pilot itself directly into the ground (laughs) without making real changes. And you have a, a 10 day window here with a little bit of extra time that you could sit back and and honestly make assessments and make adjustments uh, where that would be a lot more difficult to make in a normal week. And you're not waiting till the bye. You can't. Uh, so I, th- I think it has to happen. I think you have to, you have to make, even if they're nominal changes, even if it's, it's just, you know, just a way to, to prove you're serious about yourself, right? <laughs> to, to prove you're a serious franchise and serious about winning, serious about competing. Uh, I don't want to hear anymore how they're only a half game out in the division or a game out in the division. It's a bad division. I don't I mean, care. It, it might be a case where they just want, they want to stick with their leaders and they're not going to have any kind of, you know, overthrow of power, however you want to look at it going on this season. And, and, and like, I, I don't see them saying, Oh, Pete's giving up play calling duties. Honestly, I, I, do. I don't I don't believe it'll happen. I think it will. Personally, I think it will. I don't know if it's going to happen this week, but I think it will because I think it has to. I think you have to do something. Again, you have to prove you're a serious franchise. You have to do something to prove to your fans that you're serious about winning and that what's happened is unacceptable. And that if you are not getting the job done, like we have heard, Dennis, we have heard Mickey, we have heard multiple people say this. If you are not getting the job done, we are going to find someone who can get the job done. Well, are those just words? Are you just saying that? Or do you mean it? Well, because- well from what I'm hearing then from everyone else, though, then that means Chris Olave needs to sit the bench. I think he does. If, if he can't run his routes, if he can't do his job, then yes, I think you do need to send him a message. Uh, because to me, one of the, the most notable audio to postgame was Mike Thomas. You could, you could hear how fed up he is, and you know he's not naming anyone in specific, but you know who the heck he's talking about. Yeah, there's only so many wide receivers on this team. <laughs> 
Um, you know, and, and, and I think Derek has a, has, has something to be said for too. Like, you know, I, the, the thing is, I think you have to make an adjustment in some way. You, you, you could either, you could say, Hey, maybe you go to Jameis. Ryan Fitzpatrick thinks they should. Apparently that's another thing I, that I learned about that happened on the broadcast that I, I, you know, I heard about secondhand, but you know, I think that that's, you, you got, you have to do something. And I don't think that you change your play caller and your quarterback. I think you have to do one of those things. And I think that this team is going to want to pull that play caller lever first. Um, they're not going to fire Pete. That's not going to happen. Because and I, I don't, don't want to damage the confidence of my $100 million quarterback. I don't think it would. Installing your quarterbacks. Oh, you mean by sitting down, Derek? Yeah, I wouldn't do that at all. Well, I mean, I think you, you could, I think you could get away with doing one of those two things. You don't want to do, you wouldn't do it both because if, <laughs> right, if, if I got to do an if, if this or that, I'll, I'd take Pete over Bench and Derek. Well, I mean, it's like you're, you, you only, you change one variable at a time and you see the result of that, right? Like if you change two <laughs> variables, no, see, I mean, that's just common sense. If you change two variables and it works or it doesn't work, then you don't know which variable was successful or unsuccessful. You do one at a time. So if you change the play caller and things improve, then, hey, look, we, we figured things, we, we figured something out. If you change the quarterback and things improve, we figured something out. If you change both, then you don't know what was the, what was the impetus there. Like what, what actually affected that change? So I think that's kind of where you're at is, is I think you do have to do something because it's not working. Now, one other thing that's not working is the first half defense in these games. So like, we're going to talk a lot about offense. I am very disappointed in how this defense has come out each of the where last two weeks. pass rush? Where? See, I, I don't think the pass rush was the issue. Everyone's talking about pass rush and pressures. It's the same thing we saw with Tom Brady last year. The, the, Trevor Lawrence had a bum knee. They were protecting him. He was getting the ball out instantly so it's like you don't get zero pressures in a game because he's sitting there holding the ball you get zero pressures in a game because you're not able to get pressures and so the issue wasn't getting pressure on trevor lawrence the issue was stopping trevor lawrence from running and also making tackles in space and so to me i've said this before you've heard me say this this team has a team speed issue on defense particularly on the edges and it's just how you're set up you have these big bulky defensive players and so you get outflanked to the edges of the field and so one of the reasons you can't just pin your ears back and get after trevor lawrence is because you don't have the recovery speed on the edges to get out to jamal agnew to get out to travis Etienne. so you have to hedge which which delays the pass rush and so that's that's kind of where you're at and so to me the issues in this game were not Trevor Lawrence having forever in the pocket because he didn't have the ball in the pocket. It was, okay, you get the ball to the edge of the field and you cannot catch up to Christian Kirk. You cannot catch up to Jamal Agnew. You can get catch up to Travis Etienne. And when they got burned, that was it. When they got burned, it was the defense running after a fast guy and having no chance. Um, and so to, to me, that's something you got to figure out. And there's, there's only so much you can do. Like one of the reasons that I think they looked at Isaiah Foskey and were like, yeah, this makes sense is because he's more athletic because he is a little uh, a little more speedy on the edges, but he's just not ready right now. And, you know, you're not taking Cam or, or Carl off the field, but, you know, it's it's a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem. And anytime they go up against a team, you know, not everyone has the type of speed that the Jags have at the skill positions. Like, they are an elite offense in terms of skill position players. Uh, they I, shut I down mean, Calvin Ridley. Lawrence is a great quarterback. I mean, he wasn't, I don't, I wouldn't say getting rid of that quickly. I mean, I thought that he had plenty of time though, that there wasn't, you know, there was, he never held the ball. <laughs> I got, he threw I, his first read on, on virtually every pass. 
I mean, go look at how Nick Foles operated. So Trevor Lawrence is basically operating as Nick Foles, like a supercharged Nick Foles. Right. Who I can run, you. who yeah. can make the throws. Um, who's, you know, I, he's an elite quarterback and he's able to operate at a very high level. And like, he's, he's, he's not only throwing his first read, his first reads wide open, you know? And so they, they effectively had two big plays in the second half of that game. One was on offense and one was on defense and they accounted for 14 points. So even the, their, their banged up offensive line was able to, to hold up in this uh, because Trevor was getting rid of the ball so quickly. Yeah. So that's what there was no pressure, zero freaking pressure that the defense put on. When did when did they have a chance to get pressure? Like they ran like six plays in the second half. (laughs) They didn't have the ball in the second half. So when was that pressure coming? I mean, they had two, three and outs. And then they had that one drive that started at the Saints 45. And they scored on the second play of that drive. And it was a quick, you know, hitch inside. Christian, I think it was a slant, actually. Christian Kirk caught it and ran. It wasn't like he stood there in the pocket and surveyed. He threw his first read. And so, like, to me, it's not the pressure. It is the lack of team speed and the lack of ability to to make open field tackles. Yeah, they couldn't corral him. That, that 26-yard run was just another, you know, knife in the wound of a guy oh, that exactly. was coming in with a knee injury. It's not like that was a lack of pressure. That was a lack of contain. Right. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't know, like, yeah, it's easy to look at the sack numbers and the pressure numbers, but you have to ac- account for how quickly the guy's getting the ball out. Uh, and you know, it's, it's an energy thing. It is a, uh, it's, you know, like Pete Werner is supposed to be this very athletic, speedy linebacker. And all I see is him taking bad angles. I mean, Tyron Matthew has never been a, a top. Well, I mean, he used to be a top end speed guy. Now he's a, now he's a play with your brain type guy. You know, Demario Davis was playing with that knee injury. So, you know, I think he was probably a little slower today or yesterday than he than he would typically be. But yeah, I mean, to me, that was the biggest issue. And it's continuing, it's it's been the biggest issue is you're getting outflanked. Like that touchdown run for ETN, that was that was nothing but a, you know, just get to the get to the edge and and outrun them. Jamal Agnew had a play like that. It happened again and again and again. And the Saints just had nothing to do. And it's like, again, it's like if he takes a, if he, they're operating on the quick game, all you can do is get your hands up and hope you can deflect it. So I, I don't know. Like it's something that more teams are going to do because the other issue is because you play so much man coverage. If you do get outflanked to the edge of the field, you could run forever because the cornerbacks are turning their back and running with the receivers. Like Calvin Ridley didn't do anything. Right. Mark shut down. down, but you can only, shut down one receiver with Marshawn. You can't shut down Molt. You know, you can't have him. Okay. Well, this play, you're going to, you're going to shut down Evan Ingram, right? You know, it's like he can only account for one guy at a time. And so, yeah, that's, that's the frustrating thing for me. So, you know, it's, this is not a team that's operating at a high enough level on offense that you can overcome 17 point first halves uh, allowed by the defense. News camp. Well, when you're putting up three, 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 you know, right. and then missing a couple threes, you know, along the way too, you know. I think they only missed one in this yeah, game. This, right. I'm, I'm just saying I'm going back through now, like the last two games kind of thing. There was a point that, you know, in, the, in that first half that kind of thing, drink. I looked over to Tyler and I was like, if he, if Blake Groupie misses this 40 yard kick, the Saints like have to start looking for kickers because I mean, <sighs> that's frustrating. 
And I mean, so that's the last thing on my list here is the rookie specialists have officially become a problem, right? Like you know, the kick in green Bay, you can, you can, you can, you can explain it away as like, Oh, well, you know, first ever real pressure kick right outside. It was windy. He, he blocked it and, and he missed last week. You have the 52 yarder. You're like, okay, 52 yarder. It's not a, it's not a guarantee. You should, you should make those, but you can kind of play it off as like, okay, yeah, misses happen, right? I watched the Bills kicker miss multiple 50 yarders a couple like last week. It's, you know, you, you, you have, it's just price of doing business when you, when you settle for a long field goal. The 29 yarder was unacceptable. Another 52 yard miss indoors. He almost missed that PAT that they shouldn't have kicked, that they should have gone for two instead. It didn't end up burning them because they made the next two point conversion. But the idea that you don't go for two there, so at least inform your decision making the rest of the way after a 16 play drive where the defense is gassed nonsense <laughs> so so that's blake that's one part of the equation the next part of the equation is lou who actually had a 62 yard punt in this game he actually had so he had a punt that got muffed because it was so awkward that, that jamal agnew and his and his blocker ran into each other and he had another punt that like hit the ground and, and kicked 20 yards and ended up being a 62 yard kick but it was only like a 40 yard kick before the roll but the two kicks that are like geez 40 from the from the from the Jags 47 yard line he kicked it to the 18 from the Saints 60 yard line he kicked it to the I'm sorry 60, from the Saints 16 yard line he kicked it to the Jags 45 and that time after watching what happened on the previous kick Jamal Agnew was not letting that freaking ball hit the ground even though it was a short kick he came up at full speed and caught it so that drive starts at the Saints 47 yard line two plays later they're in the end zone you know, like I, I, I didn't, you know, the, the decision at the time to go to the rookie kickers, it felt a little out of left field. It felt like a bold choice and it didn't make a ton of sense. And it's costing you games right now. You know, I, I mean, like, I don't know if they win that. I, I don't know if, you know, even if he booms a 60 yarder and, and they're starting that drive at the 30, I, I don't know if that changes the equation. But, you know, the only thing that he was doing at a high level was was the going in punts, the the kicks that you were taking from, from the 50 yard line and putting them inside the 10 or at least inside the 15, the 18, you might as well kick it in the end zone. <laughs> like, geez, I don't know. That's another thing that's not working. Yeah. And on the the flip side with special teams, you know, y- you look at our return, return units having, I-, I thought would be a lot more productive with, with Shahid and all. And it just, uh, I've been waiting for that, you know, to break one kind of thing. I don't think he returned a kick in this game. Right. Um, he well, he did, he did get hit once, which actually, you know, it ended up netting them 15 yards on the kick catch interference. But yeah, no, I mean, it's it's tough to gauge, you know, because it's like you don't. It, it's hard to really gauge whether it was a good fair catch decision, at least from where I was standing. Like I can't tell you whether it was a good idea or not without seeing kind of the all 22 and where everyone was. But it did seem like I don't even know the the Jags punter, but he was putting some good punts out there. So, you know, I, I don't know if if Rashid is to blame. I do think that it's a smart decision to stop bringing out kicks from your own end zone and getting stopped at the eighteen because that was happening way too much. So, in that regard, I'm okay with it. The punts, I would have liked to see him be a little more aggressive, especially late in the game. But yeah, yeah, just uh, something that you thought could be, you know, I, I thought could be a factor for this squad really hasn't materialized at all in special teams. And we, you know, going in with the the rookies at both undrafted rookies at both positions, 
punter and kicker. I expected that. But yeah, in the return game, I don't know. I just expected more of a pop. And it, it hasn't been awful. It, it hasn't. I mean, in the punt, punt game, I think Rashid has been fine. I think he was, you know, a little, a little, a little more conservative in this game, but he's like leading the NFL in all purpose yards. So it's not like he's not putting up yardage. Um, he has a kick return for a touchdown. Saints hadn't had one of those since 2020 or 2019. So, you know, he has been a, he has been a factor. It just wasn't the case in this game, but yeah, I mean, to me, that's the only thing that's really worked um, is Rashid me, you know, with some punt returns the Bucks game is another one. I think he had a few nice returns in that game, but yeah, it just feels like that team needs him at least in games right now. I feel like he needs to be one of those factors all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the last thing I have in terms of my, my, my bitching. Uh, how about you? Uh, yeah, to, to me, just it, things, it, we keep talking about a lot of the same things we've said that, and then just, uh, it seems to be whether wh- whoever it's, it's been a quarterback from last year into this season, I really haven't seen any progression on the offense, which which is sad to me because you, you've got all these pieces back now. Uh, it was nice to see Jamal Williams out there, and 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 the run game to me still, while it, you know it, Alvin the the dedication to get him the ball, fantastic. But other, overall, for me, the run game just isn't churning out that yardage that I want. Uh, you, you want you got to be in the you know more four point two four point three per carry range, and that's just not happening. Yeah, the, another thing that's getting pointed out is the fake punt, which... Oh, man, that was great call by, uh, obviously, Jacksonville. No, it wasn't. It was just terrible recognition of an obvious fake punt situation by the Saints. No, and just taking advantage of it, right? I mean, like, they're kicking from the 50. You're not getting a return. Like, that's the thing. Like, you're only getting returns when they're trying to kick it. They're trying to flip the field, and you're getting some extra space to work with. You're not getting a return from the 50. There is no even – there isn't even any benefit of doing anything but being safe in that situation. They did it the next time when they actually didn't need to because they were at their own 30. (laughs) It's just, like – that's the type of stuff that's like you're getting out coached. And Darren Rizzi is a very good special teams coach. He's one of the best in the in the in the league. Um, but he got he got out coached right there. Like you can't, what did you think they were gonna do? <laughs> I mean, you think they wanna punt? Uh <laughs> that's yeah, it's Mr. Philly special on the other side over there. You know he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Right. Doug Peterson. And the thing is they left the offense on the field and then they were like, oh, actually, come back over here. Like that didn't give you a, an indicator. That I mean, they basically just they, they they held in front of your face, and you and you just had nothing. All you got to do is be up on that guy. And gosh, anyway, that's that's the no, last. No opponent trick plays in the dome is never a good sight. God, um, but all right, let's wrap up that segment. We went for a while, so uh, you know. And, the, and the, the good thing is, the next segment will be short because it's the what went right segment of the of the podcast. But this is inside black and gold. It's over. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Gelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow him at Steve Gelly WWL. We're going to go into the what did work segment, and then we're going to have a mailbag in the back end. We have like 200 comments in there already. So this is going to be a bit of an extended break as I try to get a head start on starring uh, some of these questions that we can get to in the in the back half. But thanks, everyone, for being in here. Always appreciate all the engagement and all the viewers and all the listeners and all of that. Yeah, this is Inside Black and Gold. Stick around.
We're back on Inside Black and Gold. This is the second segment. We're going to go into the what did work part of the equation. And, you know, there's there's not a ton of things that did, but there were some positive developments. One thing that did work, I thought, was the shuffled offensive line. It was the biggest talking point going into the game. I I think, you know, (laughs) at the end of the day, you look back and like, okay, Derek Carr got sacked once and it was on a blitz that they sent, you know, it was a zero blitz. They sent pressure from both sides. Alvin picked up one side and the pressure got through from the backside. Derek didn't see it and he got taken down. You know, sometimes the blitz, the blitz gets home. Otherwise, you know, Cam Irving, I thought for a guy who hasn't started a game since 2021, I thought he held up pretty well. He recovered a fumble on a, on a, I don't know what the hell Derek Carr was thinking uh, late in the first half. He tried to advance it. You're not allowed to do that. And, you know, on the other side, Andres Pete, you know, again, a guy who hasn't played left tackle since 2018, Thought he was solid. The highest graded offensive lineman in that game from pro football focus was Max Garcia. And it's funny because I didn't even think about Max Garcia after the game. And, uh, you know, because I didn't hear his name mentioned once. And to me, that's like if you're looking for a positive, (laughs) when you're an offensive lineman, the best thing you can say about them is like, I didn't even remember they were out there. They didn't say his name once. And I thought Max Garcia, you know, Max Garcia, he did a great job. So, you know, in terms of, Going forward, um, I think you did find some things that worked on the offensive line. You know, I think you're you're hopeful to get Ryan Ramchek back. And it's good to know that you do have Cam there if you need to go to him again. I don't think James Hurst is going to be back anytime soon. I think that ankle injury is pretty significant. So I think Andres Pete is going to be your left tackle um, for the foreseeable future. And so it's a, it's nice to see, you know, the Jags offensive, I'm sorry, the Jags defensive front seven is is good you know they have a lot of sacks on the year and you were able to at least slow them down you weren't able to run super effectively but you were able to give Derek Carr time he was able to get the ball out to Alvin in space and that was a very effective part of your offense Jamal Williams hopefully you know you I'm hopeful you can just look at this and say he's knocking the rust off because he did not look good I think Alvin Deuce was talking about this on the broadcast a good bit. I think he was rushing. I think he was pressing a little bit in the run game. He wasn't being patient enough to hit some of the backside cuts that were there. And I think that did limit the run game. I think when he looks back on tape, he'll see that and hopefully he can make corrections. But from a positives perspective, the offensive line, I thought probably had their best game of the year in a, in a situation where they were, you know, they were my biggest concern and they ended up not being the biggest issue. Right, he definitely didn't end up being, like you said, when you're not mentioned, really, uh, considering what was going on before going, you know, going into the game with, you know, the the talk with Ramchek and Hurst being out and everyone, you know, kind of running around going, what what the heck is this team going to do and how they're going to survive against, you know, Josh Allen. No, not the, the other Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, the, I, like you said, I thought they held up really well. Uh, to me, I, I also thought a positive, I'll say, I thought the usage of Taysom, I like the, the the split of the the run pass, you know, the run receiving usage and in, in the, in the offense and thought he, he had a pretty good day. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at Taysom's career to this point, you know, the, the only thing that annoyed me about Taysom is like, why did they wait until fourth down to, to run Taysom at the goal line? It was like, yeah, this is obvious. Friggin' do it. Just do that four times. <laughs> why are we getting cute? But right. it, Philly's got the tush push. We got Taysom up the middle. I, well, it wasn't even up the middle. It was to the, it was to the left side, but you're, yeah, I, I agree. So Taysom, it's interesting in his first 86 games of his NFL career. Now he wasn't really the Taysom Hill that we know now until 2017. So like, you know, it, it's not, 
a lot of those games don't necessarily factor in, but his first 86 games in his career, 47 catches, 481 yards. Last two weeks, weeks six and seven, 11 catches for 99 yards. And one of the things that was critical about over the first five weeks of the season was where the heck are the tight ends? Now, when Taysom, Taysom isn't a tight end all the time, but when he's catching passes, he's operating as a tight end or at least a slot receiver, which is just a split tight end, like a split out tight end. Um, so in that sense, I do like the fact that they are incorporating him more in the passing game. And in a perfect world, Jawan Johnson would be out there and that would be, you know, the role you would have him in. So maybe someday they'll get Jawan back and they can take advantage of him. But for now, it's good to see that Taysom is at least being effective as a receiver. Uh, prior to this game, or prior to week seven, I'm sorry, week six, he's the most catches he had caught in any single game, the most receptions was three. So he has bested that each of the last two weeks. There you go, setting records each week. When you know, we wanted that was one of the complaints, at least definitely I had last year, too, is like obviously you had him listed as a tight end, but in no way, shape, or form did you use him in that role. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. Um, so just kind of moving on because I don't want to spend too long on any good things because then people will think I'm being Homer. Kind. And I don't want to be kind, but one thing that did work and you're going to have to take a look at it is the tempo offense. And it's like I said, this in the open is, you know, if I'm the saints, I'm not looking at that as a, I'm almost looking at that as an indictment <laughs> of the Pete Carmichael play calling, because you basically took him out of the equation. Obviously he's has, he still has a role. He's still communicated with Derek Carr, but when the defense, I'm sorry, when the offense started moving, it was effectively Derek Carr calling the offense. He was getting, you know, the, and, and we talked about this going in and I said, you know, they they spent a lot of time this week talking about, okay, we might be doing, trying to install too much. We might be, we might be putting too much on certain players. So they wanted to simplify the offense. Well, you know, that's what a tempo offense is. You are, you have a limited menu of place and you are just, you know, you're just playing the hits, right? You're getting screens, you're getting counters you and it worked. Right. And so why hasn't, why, why has the attack not looked like that? And obviously you can't run tempo all game long. We all we all know that. It's kind of like, you know, if you're if you're looking for a comp comparison, it's like you're talking about a full court press for an entire NBA game. You can get college kids to do that, right? West Virginia does it, right? Like T or VCU does it, right? And they they cause havoc and that's their whole thing. But you go to the NBA, like Rick Patino tried to do that with the Celtics in the NBA, and they basically like had a riot. You know, like they're like, no, we are professional athletes. We do not press for 48 minutes of a basketball game. Get out of my face, Rick. Go back to Louisville. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing in the NFL. But at the same time, if it works, if you have had so much trouble getting your offense untracked and suddenly you go to tempo and it looks good. And I, I've been wondering why they haven't gone to tempo more early in the season. I think part of the issue is Derek Carr is new in this system. And tempo is something that you do need a comfortability in the offense to execute correctly. And so I think now that you're into week seven, that does exist a little more and he's able to do a few more things. Um, but, you know, I talked to Eric McCoy about this after the game and he here's what he had to say. Cause Eric's like, Hey, it worked. If it's working, we need to do it. And uh, here, here you go. Outside of perspectives, like okay, why don't you just run tempo the whole game? Like we're talking about, mm -hmm. well, what are some mm -hmm. of the difficulties in consistently running tempo like that? Um. <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the major factors. For an offensive line, it is hard to go tempo the entire game. Um, 
but honestly, that just kind of hasn't been our identity um, in the past or this year, really. Um, but like I said, if, if it worked and that's what worked, then why not stick with it? Um, because it worked. It kind of feels like if the offensive line is willing to do it. Hell yeah. No, absolutely. Like, we're willing to do whatever it takes for this team to win. If that means we have to do extra conditioning after practice, run extra gassers, get extra pass sets, like, that's what we'll do. Because um, above all else, we want this team to be successful. We want this offense to be successful. If that means sacrificing being tired, like, whatever. And if you like, would it make sense to liken it to like a basketball team that's pressing the whole game? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes everybody on the defense get lined up um, quick, fast, in a hurry. Um, and DC that it's DC said that it helps them see coverage quicker as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough, but like if that's what we're going to need to do to win, then why wouldn't we do it? And, and again, like like I asked Eric, it's like if. There's really no excuse from a from a skill position perspective. You can say, yeah, you're going to get tired eventually. But when you're talking about the, the players getting fatigued, you're talking about the offensive line. You're talking about the 300-pound big uglies who, yeah, they need a bit more time to recover. And so if you're center, the guy who is constantly – in a, you know, getting down there and, and snapping the ball and getting, and getting plowed off the line, if he's willing to do it, if, the, if, if your offensive line is willing to, to do that, then there's really no excuse for the other positions. I asked Alvin, and he gave that's what he said. He was like, it's unrealistic to expect tempo the entire game. And, and to be fair, you know, that's probably unrealistic. It, it, Alvin's right. But there's a middle ground here. There is a, there is a, there is a world where you're not just saving your tempo offense for two minute situations, for late game situations, for desperation situations. Exactly right. Sprinkle it in a little more. Right. Get to it in the first half. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be the first possession of the game, but you know, you get the ball back late in the first quarter. The defense is already a little gassed, and you hit them. You, you right. make them Car- get to their stand. Got a read of things going on right now, and you get a little faith going in him. Let him run things. Right, get confidence. Right, build confidence. And yeah, you can't run it every every possession. Fine, it, 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 if it. And the thing is, like, I think a lot of the time people will say, "Okay, you can't really run tempo the entire game because it's going to exhaust your defense because you're going to have all these quick possessions and and the defense is going to be constantly running out in the field." But I think the balance to that is, yeah, you don't come out first play of the drive and you're running tempo. You get a first down, and then you hit them with tempo. Right. You get a few plays in a row where you just go, 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 go. You know, then maybe you, you get stopped on first down and you're looking at second and 10. And yeah, at that point, you probably want to be a little bit more methodical. Make sure you get into the right play call and execute it. But if you're if you're stacking first downs, like the only reason that your defense would get tired is if you're running tempo and then you're getting three and outs and the defense is on the sideline for 90 seconds and then running back out there, basically, a, basically like like a turnover with a quick change. But if you are if you're extending drives then the defense doesn't care whether you're huddling, right? Yeah, you might lose time of possession, right? That's kind of where you give that concession is the time of possession might not be as much in your favor. But I guarantee you the defense would be fine losing some of that time of possession if it meant there are points on the board that they can I was going to say, we won time of possession this game. whoopity doo da. Right, no, so I, I mean, and, and DA said this too. Like, DA, like, I think that there is something that you have to figure out in terms of this worked. It worked. Like, the offense looked way better when it was operating with Derek Carr at the line. And one of the reasons that Absolutely. you're able to 
have success. And DA said, this is, you know, it not, it, it limits what you're doing offensively and yet it limits your play calls and your menu, but it also limits what the defense is able to do. They're not able to sub. They're not able to run the type of scheme that they might've game planned for because they're just trying to survive that, that possession. And they're going to start faking injuries, right? That's usually what happens when you're, when you're trying too much tempo, uh, I think that I think the Jags did that at one point. I can't remember who it was, but they get the Saints got down in the red zone. And all of a sudden, the guy just falls over. You know, <laughs> uh, Ole Miss is like the king of doing that. But yeah, I, I just think you know, I, I like there's a point where it's like you just got to suck it up and, and do what works. And if tempo is a key to unlocking this offense to some extent, and you can eliminate the Pete Carmichael question, <laughs> and he can kind of do what he does best, which is kind of just. You know, like I think he's valuable for this offense in terms of his understanding and game planning and and just, you know, for the same reason he was he was useful for Sean Payton. And like he's constantly having input in the offense. Even when Sean was here, he's just not calling the plays. But his input is valuable. Like it's not like he's just over there just twiddling his thumbs and saying, Yeah, run that thing. Um, so I don't know. Like to me, that's something that this team has to seriously look at. And you know, like like Eric said, maybe run some extra gases after practice. Yeah, I don't uh, know if the rest of the O line is going to appreciate him saying that one. No, yeah, I don't think Hunter Speed is a tempo guy. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Wait a minute, McCoy said what?" Yeah, I think there is a factor here where Eric is in the best shape of anyone on the offensive line already. So, in the sense that he's ready to run tempo uh, from the jump, um, I think Caesar's in pretty good. Uh, Caesar Caesar probably wouldn't mind it either. Caesar's a, Caesar's an athlete, but yeah, the tackles it's going to be tough on. Um, but again. I don't think anyone would mind uh, if it if it means that they're able to put up points because they they put up points in the second half, right? Like you got to find a way to bottle what you did in the second half and 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 reproduce that somehow. They, they're just they're, yeah, the talent level on the offense is just too it's way too great to not be putting up bigger numbers more forget more consistently bigger numbers at all. We haven't seen it all year. No, well, I mean they've been putting up yards. Yeah, and and then I know uh, a bear after in the in the post game called it you know the dead zone, which is perfect for Halloween season. Yeah, well, you know, and it's like you were one ball that should have been caught away from going three for three in the red zone in the second half. Um, and so from from that perspective, what you did worked, and it's obviously frustrating that you weren't able to score that touchdown, but you did get all the way downfield. I would love to see them run the ball. That that was the thing that annoyed me. There's you're at the five yard line. You have. The, the time isn't a factor. You had three timeouts. Run the damn ball. Um, but e- either way, uh, you know, like in the sense of w- the segment being what did work, the tempo offense, and you got to find a way to incorporate that more uh, in, in, in situations that, is, that aren't obvious tempo situations already. Um, but I have, I have one more if, you, if, you're, if you're game for it. Hmm, I'm trying to think what else could have worked. Oh, yeah, hit me. Uh, if if you asked him about it, he would call it the full bink. Uh, it was Mister. Is... It was number ninety nine running out there as the fullback, Colin Saunders. That touchdown Saunders. run for Taysom Hill. Go look at the highlight. You know why he waltzed into the end zone untouched? Is because Colin Saunders wiped out the edge defender, and he had no chance. That first down that set up that goal to go series. Colin Saunders wiped out the edge defender and Taysom was able to turn the corner and get a first down. And I believe it was on, it was either on third down or fourth down. And so, you know, that's actually a, that's actually a, a package that was installed in week six 
ahead of the Texans. They just never got in a goal to go situation. So they didn't, they were never able to use it. But so Adam Prentice went down and that's how they adjusted to that is they said, Hey, Colin, we saw your high school running back highlights. What would you say about going out there and, and uh, getting some blocking on? And he said, hell yeah. Because <laughs> all he talks about is how athletic he is. And he is, he's an incredible athlete. He can do, he can do backflips and back handsprings. Right. So, you know, there's nothing stopping him from doing that. And Hey, if it works, it's a weapon. So, you know, I expect them to continue doing that, especially down at the goal line. Yeah. Heck of impressive for him, obviously. And, um, man, like, like you said, I, I definitely want to go look at that now again, because yeah, taste, taste him, like you said, untouched, just, you know, easy, easy path into the end zone. Not a problem. Yeah. Well, once you see it, you'll see it because it's like, <laughs> it, it's, completely on i mean Taysom might power in anyway he's that type of runner but you know the reason it was so easy is is that colin saunders completely kicked out that that defender and you know so hey uh things haven't looked easy for the emergency o-line help right and if he's willing to do it again it's like one of those situations where it's hard to get you know it's not always a great uh you know not everyone's willing to play play two ways, right? Like that's a lot of extra work that he's doing when he's already out there playing a full workload at defensive tackle. Um, but he's willing to do it. If you're willing to do it, we'll take advantage of it. Um, so, Hey, you know, so that's, that's something that worked. And if you're wondering full bink, his nickname is binky. Um, actually his nickname is bink. It's not binky. Malcolm Roach told us his nickname was binky and that he was nicknamed after the character from Arthur, but that was a lie. Malcolm made that up as a joke, but he said it so deadpan that everyone believed him and Colin never corrected anyone. The Saints even tweeted that out. It was an answer to my question. And the Saints tweeted out like, oh, here's the story behind Colin Saunders nickname. And and that's not true. Uh, But his nickname is actually Bink. And he said it's from his high school basketball highlights because he was so like, like he was just like the, the sound of the ball hitting the floor. You know, it's like Bink, 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 Bink. That's that's the nickname. Oh, uh, I thought like hitting the rim, bank. No, no, it was like dribbling the ball. You know what I mean? Like when you dribble a ball on a on a court where it's like echoing a little bit, and you're gonna like bink, bink, bink. I don't know. To me, like I said, I, I'm starting to think of you're you're bad at shooting, and I'm hearing clanks off the rim. Sure. Anyway, but that's his nickname. His nickname is Bink. Uh, so that's why it's full bank. Anyway, that's the last thing. Hey, Camara, I thought Alvin also had a good game, but we talked Definitely. about that. Uh, to me. The it, there's not a you, there you can only get the ball to Alvin in space as much as possible. There is no there is no okay we're doing this too much as many times as you possibly can to get Alvin the ball in space where he can make a guy miss and make and and pick up positive yardage, pick up first downs. Do it, do it. That was one of my big criticisms last year of Andy Dalton in that offense and, and, and Jameis for that matter. He had one game against Seattle where he got the ball to Alvin constantly. Otherwise I didn't think he used him enough and I didn't think Andy used him enough at all ever last year. And so to me, that's another thing that this offense is doing more of. And if they're going to get back on track, if they're going to win a few games and, and get this taste out of people's mouths, it's going to be, you know, that's going to be a big part of it. So that's the that's the final thing. But anything you wanted to anything you wanted to point to before we move on? Uh, just the you know overall, just 
the disappointment, like you mentioned uh, earlier too, with the tight end position, I, I don't know what's going to, what does the future hold for Jimmy Graham, but hopefully this extended break, at least maybe we get to see Juwan back because uh, you, you know, it can't be that serious of an injury, huh? That happened pregame. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's clearly it is because it's keeping him out for a month, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's like if you're looking at Jimmy Graham, and we already talked about this, we don't get to get into it too much, but like if you wanted a blocking tight end, surely there are better blocking tight ends. Like that, the, Jimmy is is six seven. I think he's a better blocker now, just in terms of he's done it for so long and he's no longer a primary weapon in the passing game. So he's not that's not what he's focused on. Right. And I think he is a better blocker than he was when he was here the first time. Absolutely. He, he understands a- he's not that guy anymore and needs to be a better sure. blocker for sure. You've seen the effort. Sure. And, and like, I don't think there's been a point where you're like, oh, yeah, well, that's on him. He didn't block well enough. Like, that hasn't been the case. But at the same time, if you were goal, it was to bring in a blocking tight end, bring in J.P. Holtz. Like, <laughs> there's uh, surely Jimmy Graham is not the best option for a blocking tight end. So it just doesn't make sense. If you're not going to use him in the red zone, just, I think Bobby said this, just like, just have us let him go out there before the game wave and say, I'm retiring, you know, <laughs> have him do the hoot at chant every week and be inactive. Um, <laughs> Cause it doesn't make sense what they're doing. Yeah. I'm sure you could use the roster spot on someone else. I don't know. Surely. I mean, <laughs> offensive lineman. Let's wrap up that segment. We're going to come back. We're going to answer some viewer questions. This is Inside Black and Gold. A lot of questions in there, so I'm going to try to get to as many as possible. We're going to have to do kind of a rapid fire again. It's weird. When the Saints are terrible, we get all of these comments. It's almost like people are mad. Uh, but again, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. I feel like people, when they're bonded in anger or hate or, you know, what, whatever over something, it's a, it's a very strong bond, so I get it. Hey, uh, trauma, you know, trauma yeah. bonds. Right. <laughs> it's like we've been through this shit all together. So yeah. I, I feel your pain. You feel my pain. There, There's definitely solidarity. I'll give you that. You know, like there's no one out there being like, God, everything's great. Let's let's run it back. You guys everything. are being too hard on P. <laughs> everything's going so well um, that we should, uh, that y'all are just overreacting. And I mean, in the past, I think that there's always some level of, of, people overreacting to every bad thing that happened. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta take the good with the bad. Sometimes that's not the case right now. I'm fully on board with the, <laughs> with the, with the vitriol. Um, but all right, you can follow the show on Twitter at saints underscore pod. Check out, if you haven't subscribed yet, do that. Check us out on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. You're probably watching there right now. If you're watching right now, it's at WWL sports. A lot of people watch our videos, but aren't subscribed. So if that, if that sounds like you just, there's a bell, there's a little bell, bell icon, just hit it. Just ring it. It's fun. It'd be a good time. And if you, you know, if you use Apple podcast, subscribe to us there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Tell, tell me how annoying I am. That sort of thing. Otherwise we will be right back to that live mailbag on inside button. Inside Black and Gold. We're going to dive into the mailbag. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Gillick. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Talking about the Saints. 31-24 loss. At least we can say 24, right? I guess that's a positive. They did put up 24 points, so we can 
we can say that. And the difference in the game, a pick six, uh, which that sucked. I, like, the defense was playing very well in the second half after the first half debacle. And then the Jags, I'm sorry, yeah, the Jags put seven on the board. Foyasade, Aluakan, very good player. Um, anyway. Yeah, so, that's why the whole deal, obviously, with Foster Morrow, you can't blame anything on one dude. There were so many hands in the pot of debauchery. There is, yeah, there is plenty of blame to go around. But so KD says, don't forget that second rounder from Denver. Correct. Don't forget that second rounder from Denver because it's looking like it's going to be a pretty good pick. But the second half of this comment will have three picks in the top 40. Incorrect. The Saints don't have their own second rounder. They also don't have a third rounder because they the, the reason they have the Broncos second rounder is they basically flipped their third rounder for the Broncos second rounder. So the Saints will have their own first, the Broncos second. They will not have a third. And they don't have their own second. Yeah, they don't have their own second. So they could have two picks in the top 40. They will not have three. So just to be clear, and you know, that's part of the deal, right? Like you, you, it's, I'm not going to complain about that part of it. Uh, that, that second rounder, I wish you did have, but yeah. I'm waiting for comments to, you know, jokes to come in about them using, you know, the first round pick on an offensive lineman from a small school or something. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about that enough. Trevor Penning, you know, DA did talk about Trevor today and he added some in some more, you know, let more along with the perspective line, he did say something that I think is is closer to the truth in that he was struggling. And one thing that you have to be careful about with young players is if you just allow them to struggle, the confidence just goes down and down and down and down. And I think part of the idea was get him out of there, allow him to kind of go back and, and work on what he saw in the first six weeks, five weeks, and and build on that. And then maybe down the road, you can go back to him if you just let him be in there and like, I think he was regressing. And uh, if you just let him keep doing that, the confidence level is going to go through the floor and part of what they were trying to avoid. And, and yeah, you, can, well, you can dress it up however you want. You got benched. Uh, hopefully they're trying to just piss him off. Yeah. Cause he seems to be better when he's angry. Right. They're like trying the whole... to send a message. Right. right. That's a big part of it. They're trying to send him a message. And so if he receives it the right way and keeps working and gets better, then maybe you can still salvage that. But right now it's not looking good. Another another comment from KD. Always good from KD. Always here. Always making good comments. Did you see Dennis Allen talking at the half? He was ready to kill Groupie. Now, see, I think you're 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 misidentifying who Dennis Allen wants to kill in this scenario. And the reason being, the Saints don't keep Blake Groupie over Will Lutz. They don't keep Lou Headley over Blake Gillikin unless Darren Rizzi is championing those players. So if Dennis Allen wants to kill anybody, it's going to be Darren. Because again, like they didn't, they didn't, Darren didn't come in and say, you know, I think, I think Lou Will is better than Lou, than Blake. I think Blake is better than, that's confusing. I think Blake is better than Lou. And then they were like, you know what? Yeah, uh, we disagree with you, special teams coach. We're going to go with the rookies. No, this was a Darren Rizzi championed decision. It had to be. There's no other way. So I think if there's consternation with those picks, with those players, a lot of it's going to be directed at the coach. It's just uh, obviously an area that you knew could be a huge question, obviously, with two undrafted rookies coming in. And yeah, that's totally, I agree. It wasn't everybody overruling what Rizzi wanted for his special teams unit. It's, it's definitely there. And I, you know what? We, 
I mean, I, I don't know with groupie. I, you know, you talk about with kickers, they're different breeds of, you know, players and they're just wired differently. Is it something that starts to get between his head? No, I think it's it's a mental thing. Like he, we know he can make the kicks. It's not a not a physical issue for him right now. I think it's you know you talk about getting the yips, and that's why I was very concerned when he went out there for a forty yarder, which is like you miss a fifty two yarder, and you know sometimes you just miss, right? It's it's again, I think I said this before. It's like that's the cost of doing business when you settle for a long field goal, right? The percentages go down, but right. if he's out there missing like. The last last week he missed a twenty nine yarder and it was like you don't miss that unless you are completely in your own head. If he had gone out there and, and yanked a forty yarder, then you know I think there's another comment in here that was like if the Saints went and scored a touchdown, you know they were saying like I think they might have gone for two because they didn't trust Groupie. I was thinking that too. I was because he clanked the extra point off the uprights on that first PAT. Yeah. He didn't get a second chance because they went for two on the next one, but <laughs> I. I the only reason I say that's I, I don't think that's that would have been the case is because Dennis Allen, when it comes to being bold about that type of decision about two pointers versus a PAT, never. Like you saw in week three, Mike Matt Lafleur went for two when they were down fourteen because you know the math and the, the analytics say you got a fifty percent chance. So if you, you the odds are that if you don't get it the first time you're going to get it the second time and if you do get it the first time then you have a massive advantage you're down 6 instead of 7 you can win with a touchdown instead of tying with a touchdown you will never you will never see Dennis Allen make that type of cho- make that type of decision he's just not that type of guy and i and i i i wish he was i wish that he was more analytically inclined i've said that before but yeah, that's the only reason. Like he's gonna, he's gonna, he would have kicked the PAT regardless. You don't of, think if Pete came to him with that and said, "Listen, I got this. It's gonna work." He'd I think to this. Right. I think this. I think he might listen to if like Pete was that passionate about something. No, I asked Pete about this. I asked Pete okay. if he thinks that that's a, you know, what does he think about that scenario? And he said, you know, if DA says we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it. So no, he's not. I mean, to be fair, it's probably the, the the special teams coach and the analytics guy. I don't remember his name that would have to champion that idea and be like, no, yeah, this is what this is what you have to do. Yeah. And even then, I don't know because uh, it's just not how he operates. You see him punt from the forty from the thirty seven yard line, right? Like, just not that type of coach. Um, and again, I disagree with it, but that's just you know, would be realistic about it, I guess. Uh, anyway, nine ninety two RAS third down was horrible last night. And this is correct. I think what they were like third, three for 18, something like that. The only reason that people aren't talking about third down as much is because they were actually pretty efficient on fourth down. Right. Exactly. I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but actually I do have the numbers right here. Four for six, four for six. Right. Yeah. And so the last, so yeah, the first fourth down attempt, they didn't get, um, that was near midfield. And then the last fourth down attempt, they didn't get. So they converted on four consecutive fourth downs. And that saved them several times when they failed on third down. So that's what made it. I feel like Alvin was pretty huge in a lot of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alvin had a great game. And, and, you know, I do want, like, Alvin, he didn't have his typical, you know, I'm worried that Alvin's going to check out. Um, And I don't know if you listened to his post-game comments. He was talking about, like, I'm blessed to play the game and blah, blah, blah. Like, I want him to be angry. You know, because I think that's, you know, you, you, you heard Michael Thomas stand up and make the speech. You, Dalvin did the same thing. And it's like when he stops getting angry about 
the type of performance that you saw in the first half. And when he starts just being like, you know what, I'm just grateful to be here. To me, that's that's like a sign he's he's checking out, and I don't want to see that. So I'm, I'm worried that the longer this goes on, the more you're going to get that from some of these players, which is like, you know what? I mean, how long am I supposed to pretend this is this is like, you know, the status quo when it's clearly not? Yeah, he even mentions like, you know, it's cool. I got I got my daughter. I'm blessed to have her. Yeah. And I mean, that's true. I do think that's good perspective to have. But you know, I just I, I think he's a guy who has to be the this is not going to stand guy. And I don't, hopefully he doesn't lose that. Um, but you know, I don't it know almost, what was the deal was with the scarf. That was kind of strange. <laughs> it almost feels like, yeah, it's like, well, I, there's only so much I can do or say the message isn't getting through. I'm going to do me, continue to do me and enjoy my life. Cause I know I got a good. <laughs> yeah. Here's Carl Markey. Mark says, Sean would have benched Olave last night. DA is running an unpissed, an undisciplined team. Sit Olave, give AT Perry a shot. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Sean never benched Brandon Cooks, and Brandon Cooks was always kind of a, you know. A, well, you got just traded out of town. He did trade him. Right. <laughs> he did trade Brandon Cooks away. And to me, that's kind of what I, I, I think that you you got you to gotta get this thing pointed in the right direction as far as Olave is. I don't know if, you know, you got to do something. But I don't let's, disagree let's with get, Let's get Derek Carr, Chris Olave, and the gang go to the go-kart track and everyone have a fun day. Yeah, maybe some mini golf. Yeah, yeah, some team bonding exercises. Maybe they need to get the ping pong table back in the locker room. Obviously. Maybe they need to get the ping pong table back in the locker room. Maybe that's the key. But right, the, the, comment, the extra basketball net has just caused more strife. Yeah, it's just it's just not getting the job done. No. Jack Hunter. We shouldn't even talk about defense. We scored one touchdown and gave the other team one touchdown, so we did nothing on offense. They scored two touchdowns, to be fair. But no, I mean, like I- I've said this before, it's not fair that the off the defense has to carry this team, but it's supposed to be that type of defense. So I am going to be hard on the defense because the way they've come out the last two games and, and the players have said this, it's not me saying this. The players have said they basically came out flat. They didn't make adjustments in the second half against the Texans, at least not any major adjustments. It's not like they changed the scheme. They just played better. And I think that was the same thing against the Jags. I think they did make some adjustments to not get outflanked quite as much. And that's why you didn't, you know, and you talk about the lack of pressure. One of the reasons you can't get pressure is because you're trying to contain as opposed to get rushed up field and, and get beat inside. So, yeah, I mean, but I'm going to keep talking about the defense because that's the only way this team has a chance, in my opinion, of, of making the playoffs is if this defense gets on a roll the way they did in the second half of last season and the, the offense can, can find its way to get its head above water. To me, that's the only way. No, you were you're dealing with some, you know, a lot of your main guys are a tad banged up right now. I know no excuses. We we saw the the Jacksonville offensive line was was hurting as well. We couldn't take any really kind of advantage of that. But you know, we know Cam's dealing with injuries. Demario's dealing with an issue in his knee that he even said I, I should I had like zero percent chance to be playing in this game. Uh, but miraculously was able to, you know, by the grace of God, according to him, able to, you know, play, able to even suit up and get on the field. And then also even Tyron Matthew hurting right now, too, is another one of your your big veteran guys that, I mean, just on all levels, you know, front, middle, back, you're kind of banged up there and and not 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably partially contributing to the to the getting out run at every level part of the, the equation. But yeah, here's one comment from Carl Marky Marks that I think is 
not necessarily accurate. He says, our D-line is the oldest in the league, and it's showing more and more every year. I don't think that's true. I think maybe that was true last year when you when you were relying on David Onyemata. And, uh, but, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Cam is obviously 33, 34. But, and the other guy that's older than I thought he was is Nathan Shepard. He's actually 30. Um, but he's only been in the league for like five years. So he contributes to the age. But, I mean, beyond that, Colin Saunders is 27. Brian Brzee is 22. Malcolm Roach is 25. Tano Passigno is 29. Cam, uh, so Cam. Carl Granderson is 26. Isaiah Foskey is 22. I mean, I don't think the, the age is the, the issue there. I mean. Shout out to Carl Granderson. Always, the, dude, the dude's efforts always present. I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I you have two you have two rookie defensive linemen. I don't think that you're. I think that you are younger now than you have been on the, on the defensive line. So I, I don't know if that's necessary. I, just from a factual perspective, I don't think they have the oldest defensive line in the league. I don't. I'd have to look around and find. I'd be very surprised if that was the case, considering you have multiple guys in their early twenties um, in that group. But no, I mean, Cam. I think you you have to start looking at more of a rotation as it pertains to Cam, I think Carl, you can probably rely on and say, yeah, he's still in that peak level where you can trust him to be, you know, a 95% snap guy. But, you know, I think it's Cam is at that point in his career where, you know, I see him just trying to chase people down way too often. And the problem is Isaiah Foskey is, is developmental and he's not quite where you want him to be, but, Tano is a, is a good athlete. Tano is probably the best athlete in terms of that group. And I'd like to see him get more action. Um, so I don't know. It's the defensive line is something, but if, if you're stuffing the run, you can live with a lot of that because not every team is going to be able to beat you to the edges of the field, the way the Jags are. So I think you just need to be a lot more careful in these matchups against these speedster teams, which there are, you know, not every team is, but there are a good number of teams with very good speed. Um, and so you just have to game plan. I don't know if they had enough time this week to really come up with a great plan for how to handle some of this team speed. Um, but with, with Cam too, it's you know it's it's hard to imagine taking such a you know such a legend for this team off the field. I, and I understand, yeah, he's he's getting up there in age, obviously. But yeah, using less of Cam will will save him more. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying you take him off the field in terms of like you're still right. gonna. I still think you use him like maybe 75 percent of the snaps. Just not. He's. I don't think he's a 90 percent snap guy anymore. But you know, and he it, wants to be obviously too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's the problem. Is <laughs> you're gonna have to convince him that's a good idea, <laughs> and that's tough. You know, he's the team leader. Yeah. Right. He's he's, he's, looking at, he's looking at Da going. Why would I come off the field? And 34 years old, you know, even at 34, he is still a very good all-around defensive end. I just think in some of these matchups, especially the the fast teams, and Justin Pasquale points out here, it's speed and a mobile QB absolutely make our defense look vulnerable. And fast. and I think that's that's where you know maybe in those matchups you do you 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 utilize Isaiah Foskey and you let him spy a little bit, right? You you don't necessarily rush, but you use him to to be that flanker. And so, yeah, I think you do need to start looking at some of that with Cam. Jack Hunter says, my Saints flag is upside down and a half mast because this team done died. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any take for that, but uh, that's quite dramatic. Leo Addy Chase, rare positive. I think this was the best. The O-line played all season with Pete getting pushed around. Penning, Hurst on the left side has been that bad. Cam Irving is an upgrade. 
props to him. Yeah, I mean, Hurst at guard has been for uh, Max Garcia, I think, was a major upgrade at guard. And I said this, like one of the reasons that I think you were willing to move Hurst to left tackle is not necessarily that you desperately wanted to replace Trevor. It's that you, I think you needed to do something else at guard. I don't think Hurst is getting the job done at guard. So you're going to replace Hurst at guard. And then the question becomes, well, is Hurst a better option at left tackle than Penning? Because one of them has to go to the bench. And once you made the decision to send Trevor to the bench, I think the die was cast. And from there, you just said, okay, I guess we're going with Andres now. <laughs> but like, I think Max Garcia has been a bright spot the last two weeks. The O-line definitely a surprise considering, you know, the shambles things look like going into the matchup. And it, it definitely seemed like the chicken little situation of the sky was falling going into a game against the team that likes to be known as Saxonville. <laughs> I always think of it as like, you know, like Saxony, you know, like a, like an old English town. Um, Which they could be heading to. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there you go. Good, 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 Ooh, good connection. connection there. Right. Here's LVP. We were kind of talking about this earlier. Breeze was a coach on the field. No Moss on this team. I don't know what that means. No, no good on this team. Uh, no Moss, no Moss. No more. No more. No more. Yeah, no, yeah. Moss, no more. Yeah. Okay. It's Spanish. In case you're wondering. Like the uh, oh, who was it? Uh, the the boxer, the no moss boxer. Um, was it Roberto? Duran? Yes, Roberto Duran. Yeah, no moss. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, no moss. Yeah, but no, I, like, and I think like when when I'm critical of Carr when he's coming off the field, you know, throwing a tantrum because that's really that's what it was. That's that's where it's like you need him to to yes hold people accountable, but that's not how you do it, right? Like. That's just gonna piss piss people off, and it's not, you're not gonna get the best out of players when you're showing them up on national television. You're not. You're just not. And I, you know, and Carr admitted that, right? Like he came out after the game and said, "Like I need to be better about that," and he does. Um, but like he he's he's an emotional guy, and I and it has gotten the best of him. And I just don't think that you, you can't be doing that. Like that's, I I'm sure he's getting it. Yeah. For me, it's more of I, I understood where it was all, like I said, the, that bubbling rage was coming from. And yeah, it just happened to spill out. I don't, I mean, he's not, I don't think he's done that consistently all season, though, huh? Well, no, he wasn't, he wasn't freaking out when they were two and oh, but the last two weeks, you've seen it. And, and so that, you know, one time it's like you can be like, all right, you know, everyone gets emotional. Everyone, you know, you're never, no one's going to be perfect all the time in that regard. Two weeks in a row. That's childish. You can't be doing that. Um, With that, uh, the the first one is that the one where he was coming off yelling at Pete. Yeah, that last video week, you're yeah. talking about. Okay. Yeah. This time it even it, it looked bad on national TV too because oh, like yeah. you're seeing that and it's like yeah but you threw the ball out of bounds so what are you mad about you threw an uncatchable ball well he was throwing it away but like that image is still gonna last so, like those quote tweets don't go away so now right. everyone's like what the hell's Derek Carr complaining about when he's throwing it to the sidelines exactly. You threw the ball to Ugo Amadi and you're yelling at the receiver. Yeah, so it just doesn't look good. Like it's just a bad look, and he's got to be better. Someone asked me if we'd pick Michael Pratt from Tulane. I don't think anyone's going to pick Michael Pratt from Tulane. You probably get him as a UDFA. So here's a conversation. We can get into this. It's a big conversation to get into on the last comment of the day, but here's Big Mill. If Winston is any good, why wouldn't he go somewhere else and try to be a starter instead of staying there and being a backup? This is not – I'm not necessarily responding to this question. It's just, just a just – a, prompt to get into this topic of would it make sense for the saints to go to Jameis Winston? And right now at this point, no, because 
you invested too much in Derek Carr to pull the rug out from under him in week eight. But like I said at the top here, you got to make real changes, real decisions to prove you are serious about winning. And you can't, you're not changing a quarterback and a play caller at the same time. And to me, I think that the first step you have to take is adjustments as it pertains to the play calling. And if you do that, and we're still seeing the same inconsistencies in the same issues, say a month, down, let's say three, four weeks down the road, and you're still hovering around 500 and you still, all you can do is beat Gardner Minshew, which I expect them to do. You know, you can beat Tyson Badgett, right? Which I expect them to do. And then you're just playing a dud in division games. Then yes, I do think that you have to seriously consider making a change right now. It's just tough. I mean, like I get it. The stats are not good, but this is the, this is the bed you made when you brought Derek Carr in. And you know, if, if, if it goes off a cliff and it just does not work then I think you're cleaning house anyway. So I don't think this coaching staff is going to be like, yeah, what's, this is not, that, that's not going to be what saves their jobs. Let's put it that way. Like, does that make sense? Like if right. you're a coach you, and you're, you, think you're you just sold your me on bringing this guy in and now we're going to put Winston in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because they didn't sign Derek Carr, just like the Darren Rizzi thing, right? Like he championed Blake Groupie and Lou Headley, right? So if there's any resentment there, it's going toward the special teams coach. Same thing applies to the head coach and the offensive coordinator who championed Derek Carr. So I just don't think that that for my system, it's going to be great. Yeah. So like if you're coaching for your job, that's not going to save your job. Now down the road, maybe, maybe it's just like you get, you're desperate and you just go, okay, we got to do something, you know? And and I don't think you're there yet. Right. Like you're not even halfway through the season. Um, You're one game under 500. You win two, three games in a row. And all of a sudden you're, you're moving and you're you're in you're in the right position. This is still an easy schedule. Like you're still not looking at this schedule and saying, "Oh, it's you know this is something that they cannot get wins in." But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think that's where you're at right now. But you are a lot closer right now than you were two three weeks ago. So well, I'll, I'll put it there. Yeah, there, there's no way in hell I, I think they they make that switch to to Winston at all, unless it was going to be due to an injury, and we saw that didn't even happen. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it, I, his shoulder was not in great shape that week, obviously, and they still trotted him out there. Yeah, no, this coaching staff is going to do everything it can to make things work with Derek Carr, right? Because once you sit Derek Carr down, no turning back. You're not going back to him, <laughs> right? Like, like you brought this guy in. You know, that's just not like if the locker room gets toxic and you don't think you have any other option, that's one thing. If you're just doing it to say, it's like, remember, uh, if you remember Eli Manning's uh, one of his last seasons, they tried to bench him for Geno Smith. And you could say Jameis is, is, has a better pedigree than Geno Smith, but you I mean, right. I think they're similar players when you, when it comes down to it, your first round picks, they got a chance with their original team and then they kind of got put out the pasture and they kind of just had this backup role. And when they tried to do that, and, and it, obviously Derek Carr and Eli Manning are not good comparisons uh, in terms of, you know, Eli Manning was a legend in New York. Derek Carr is this kind of freelancer that showed up in New Orleans this year and has no, you know, built-in trust from the fan base. Um, but, you know, the fans were just like, what the hell are you doing, Ben? And then again, Ben McAdoo got fired, <laughs> right? They ended right. up putting Eli back in and firing Ben. And like, I think 
that's just a situation where it's like they didn't bring Geno Smith in there to be the future, the future starter. The Saints don't view Jameis Winston as the future starter. So again, like I said, that wouldn't save their jobs, even if it worked. So I think that's what prevents you from doing it. But again, that's now. That's right now. That's not week 13. No, to me, you know, you you talk about even changes, just any kind of change to me. I don't I don't think we're there yet at all. Uh, you know, the, the offense obviously everyone wants to pull, call to with, with Pete Carmichael a play calling. I don't I don't think it's quite there yet. Maybe after the bye week it w- could be the you know, you come in with a new fresh perspective kind of thing. I don't know. No, I, I think that's a good point. Well, when is the bye week? Week 11? Yeah, week 11. So, so yeah, yeah in, the, in the Chicago, Minnesota bye. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm looking at this from, a, from the perspective of like, what, wh- when, when would you maybe make that change? I think right now you have this kind of mini bye, and that's where you could make a change at, from a play caller, from just a, like, again, you're not firing Pete Carmichael. You're just reorganizing how things go. And then you give them three weeks or give or take, and you look at it and you say, okay, where are we now? Have things changed for the better? Are we better off right now than we were in week seven? If the offense continues to go off a cliff, then yeah, I think during that bye week is when you might make some difficult decisions in that regard. But yeah, you're not, you're not really there yet. And and for me, the, the question at quarterback, I'm, I'm, I'm riding with car till the wheels fall off, you know, no pun intended. And, and, and yeah, I'm not benching him at all because like you said, how do you, how do you come back from that crap? <laughs> All right. That's a sign that we need to we need to get off of here. This is Inside Black and Gold. We Thanks, everyone, drinks. who joined us. Thanks, everyone, who – yeah, we should have done this with bourbon. Thanks, everyone, who uh, dropped in a comment, who 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 stuck around and, and engaged. I always do appreciate it. I know this is frustrating for everybody, but thanks for sticking around. We're going to keep doing this because yeah, we don't have a choice. Um, but we, <laughs> we know you have a choice. <laughs> so we appreciate you hanging out with us. I, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noak. You can follow him at Steve Geller WWL. We're going to enjoy a long weekend. I'm going to sit on my couch and actually watch football on a Sunday for a change. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. And uh, yeah, Steve, you excited? Definitely excited. Folks, please keep liking and subscribing because uh, the more you do it, it frees our souls from the clutches of Odyssey. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Who that? Go Saints. Uh, who this? Who they? No. I don't know. Easy, y'all.